it's me, the sun-soaked tropical hotel looking for a companion who enjoys short walks to sandy beaches and exotic bird sightings. My only weakness? You'll never want to leave me. Download the Hotels app to find me, your perfect somewhere. This episode is brought to you by the first-ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Sometimes everything just clicks. Like when your favorite song comes on at just the right time. When there's two tickets left for the show. When everyone in the crew can agree on what album to listen to. When everything just feels right. That's the feeling of the first-ever Toyota Corolla Cross. Available with all-wheel drive, Qi wireless charging, and advanced JBL sound system. It's everything you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Learn more at toyota.com. Good evening, Honey Hole Hangout. What's up, guys? Today, we're back to a full crew. Last week's episode was just me and Zach. Hey, we shot the breeze. It was fun. Our podcast, Honey Hole Hangout, is a collaboration of four fly fishermen and outdoorsmen and hunters who somehow afforded podcast equipment and figured out how to release content on the internet. These are our stories, opinions, and perceptions of outdoor pursuits in the modern world. If you have never heard our show before, we talk about hunting, fishing, outdoors, weird creatures, funny stories, things in the news, conservation, ducks. The list goes on. Cliff, and the list goes on. Hey, you would be excited. Uh, I was at a training yesterday, and there was a picture of a duck. I thought of you. That's the only thing that's... <laughs> oh. There's a picture. You're supposed to be excited. I forgot to... I haven't asked you about it. Did you watch the video I sent you, uh, John Oliver? Yeah, I have. Yeah, what did you think about that? I think that was the most sense that he's made in a while. Was it, was it about ducks? It, it was, was about it was the, the duck bus, stamp. It was about the stuff. duck stamp. Oh, that's cool. But while we're on that topic, I want to kind of go back uh, to the Joe Briscoe episode that wait no it was uh the episode that came out today it was with uh Dacus yeah Dacus uh where we were talking about the guy who went on a rant on uh Facebook about being taxed and everything you have a follow-up comment I do. So I, I got to I was listening to the episode this morning and I kind of got to thinking uh something that I don't think that that a gentleman was thinking about is he called it a tax saying your your licenses and stuff but it's voluntary yeah this guy just wanted to like run the world wild and free being able to kill whatever and hunt whatever and because you know it's our land so he we could just do whatever. it's our animals so he should be yeah 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 he should have to pay it even for a license and you that. should be able to shoot whatever you want whenever you want yeah yeah so i started thinking about it in any way that you want I started thinking about it today. The it's it's hard for me to say that the license is a tax because it's voluntary. It's one hundred percent voluntary. But technically, like most a lot of taxes are voluntary. Your income tax is not voluntary. Nah, yeah, and that's why that's why I stopped and said at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. But this is <laughs> like if you just bought food, you'd never really pay taxes except for income tax. Mm, depends on where you're buying food. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're right. You're right in the sense, but this, your license is a tax, and I'm using that term generally because mm-hmm. that's how we're using it, is a tax that you legitimately walk up to the counter 
of Academy and say, I want to buy this. I know it's all a tax, pretty much. Yeah. Like it's 100%, and it all goes to parks and wildlife, uh, habitat management, and stuff yeah. like that. So to me, it's not really a tax. That's the good that you're buying. Because you know where it's going. Correct. It's a good donation. Right. So what I'm saying is it's a vol- it's more of a voluntary pavement. Yeah, it's a, do- like it's no a donation where you get to hunt things. Yeah, but he things. hunts, so to him, for him to be legal, he sees it as a tax. For someone that doesn't hunt and they don't have to pay for it, it's not skin off their back. But since he hunts and wants to shoot whatever he wants to shoot, to in his mind... He's being taxed to be able to have to do. I what still he see wants it as being something voluntary. I agree, but if he's really that, like, I'm not condoning this, so don't take me as I'm condoning it. If he really doesn't want to pay it, don't pay it. Still do what you're going to do, but then you suffer those repercussions that's going to happen when you inevitably get caught of hunting and fishing without a license. Yeah, true. Yeah, I mean that's on him. It's 100% voluntary to buy the license. Yes, you is required if you want to legally do it, mm-hmm. but nothing's stopping him from not. Yeah. Do you have anything else on that comment? Uh, <laughs> can I can I jump in? Yeah, yeah, actually, I was waiting for him to finish so I could introduce you. No. I didn't know when the like point to like stop and transition was. So our guest today is Julie Louie. Did I say it right? You nailed it. Okay, perfect. <laughs> and she is from the Devil's River Conservancy, which is a, a conservation organization that fights to protect the Devil's River. And we're going to go into more detail about what that means uh, in a little while after we get through our normal show. But what did you want to say, Julie? Well, I thought it was kind of interesting about uh, not wanting to pay for a license because way back when Parks and Wildlife was formed, we start- first started having game wardens. Um, we had pretty much hunted out and degraded the species populations across our state. And that, so- was, that was all brought up when this was originally... Uh, mm. Talked about two weeks ago, I guess. Yeah. Now. yeah. And this guy thinks that we should go back to that to because I mean, yes. he wouldn't have anything to hunt today. Right. That's had we not started this process. Yeah. And, That's yeah. essentially how we pretty much talked about uh, this topic with uh, Dacus that day. Is we I brought up the fact that during the 1700s and stuff, before we actually started implementing the North American model of wildlife conservation. We were market hunting, subsistence hunting, and all this other stuff, and we demolished these species and game animals that are so prolific in our minds today, such as certain species of duck, even the black bass, even white-tailed deer in certain areas, and we're still suffering the repercussions of it with buffalo and some other species and stuff. This dude was just so short-sighted in his argument and his rant, and it is what we kind of came down to it. He was just mad. Yeah. And it's 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 $30. <laughs> That's it's, the thing. And that? you get like five, ta- well, it depends on the county you're in, but you get like five tags with your license. Oh, $30 right. is like 150 something this well, year. Well, if you get public land. If you get all everything. the stuff, yeah. yeah. If you get the duck stamp, public land, super combo. But if you just want to hunt deer. And guide license. Fish a little bit. It's like it's like sixty dollars yeah, for the true. super combo. But even sixty bucks. I mean, it's not that bad. Yeah. No, it's not. Anyone who's sitting there complaining about it, like I said, no one's really forcing you up front. No. But then you're going to suffer those repercussions when yeah. you finally get caught. Exactly. There's a big game hunter. If I was a, every bowling alley. Yeah. You know. I don't. 
uh, I like where this is going, but I want to know more. <laughs> like, if you don't want to pay the tax to go hunt, then just oh, go to the bowling the, alley and the play big the big game, game hunter game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking like an actual man who's a play big game hunter, hunter just go get a, at the bowling alley. I'm like, <laughs> no. yeah, probably. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> the, the video game at every, at every get it, bowling Get alley. a Super Nintendo. You can buy on a duck hunt. You, exactly, can buy, right? you can buy the miniature arcade machines at Academy now, and I've seen a big buck hunter, one of those, but it's like $1,000. So it's like, man, yeah, I can't do that. No. They're cool, though. So tonight <laughs> we are drinking scotch, Glenn Levitt 12. This is from my collection. Yeah. And I like what I did last week about the Jeffersons. Yes, yeah, so you have more information? I have more information. Perfect. Instead of just like opening the bottle and being like, oh, we like it. This is what we're drinking. Here's a little bit of information. So give us information. more. Okay. The history of Glenn Levitt, uh, Glenn Levitt was it was established in 1824, but that's just the year that its founder George Smith officially obtained a recognized license to distill. Smith was one of many distill- distillers practicing his trade in the dark of night and carrying barrels over the hills to sell in secret to elude the outrageously heavy excise tax put on spirits by England. Um, but a legitimate near 200 years of practice indeed makes for a very fine single malt whiskey and one of the benchmark representations of the space side style. Uh, one thing I'd like to do in a future episode, there's like, and I need to do more research on like it. But Highland, space Highland, space side. There's like four, Bayside. there's like four areas of Scotland. And so when they say space side, it's like coming from this yeah. region um, of Scotland. So I'll dive into that more in another episode. Um, this bottle specifically, the Glen Levitt 12 Year Scotch is a classic Speyside single malt characterized by a balanced and elegant flavor profile. Its flavors of citrus, honeysuckle, and vanilla promise to please those looking for a non-smoky flavor. No peat flavors here. Yes, and I would say I love this. And you know, I don't like Scotch. Yeah. But this is fantastic. All right, Zach's I, a I, bourbon drinker. I, not that I don't like Scotch. I prefer bourbon over see. Scotch. But... For me, scotch is like they're either hit or miss, whereas like I like most bourbon. So here's what the flavor profiles are going to be, and you guys can play along as I mention them, and mm-hmm. you can tell me if you think it's correct or not. So on the nose, you should be getting citrus fruit, honeysuckle, and vanilla, illustrative of what a classic Speyside single malt should smell like. I get vanilla, like a Do strong not vanilla. Expect I get the citrus. Peat, as that is not what this northeastern region of Scotland is known for. I get like raisin. I get it. Alcohol. I got the raisin as soon as you said that. Yeah. You must have a very sophisticated <laughs> <laughs> Our group sommelier. Yeah. How's, it, tell me how's to, it compared to your Lone Star earlier? Tell me to, to dissect a bush like. <laughs> <laughs> well, this tastes like water. Uh, on the palate, it should be candied nuts, sweet vanilla shortbread cookies, and a hint of toffee. That's my nickname in high school. Sweet vanilla vanilla shortbread cookies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And then the finish should be sweetness that lingers on your tongue but is gently overtaken by lemon zest and the crunchy bitterness of barrel tannin with just a hum of vanilla beneath it. That was my senior quote. (laughs) (laughs) That's on a roll tonight. I I, I like it. Me too. I actually like that one a lot. Yeah, I like it a lot. How uh, how expensive is that bottle? It's a $50 bottle. Really? Yep. And it's not hard to find. No, you can buy it anywhere. Yeah. 
uh, scotch, like a, although, is getting harder to find, like bourbon. Yeah. Uh, Japan is like, apparently, I read an article that Japan is cornering the scotch market, and they're actually distilling a lot of scotch in Japan. Well, so they're distilling Japanese whiskey. Yeah. Without the E. Yeah. But scotch has to come. Yeah, scotch has to come from Scotland, but I think they're buying the materials from Scotland yeah, yeah. and then distilling in Japan. They're the only so, other maker that can spell it without an E. So, I like it. This is one of my favorites, and it's... If if you haven't gotten into scotch much, it's it's That's an easy, an easy drinker. one. Yeah. It's an easy drinker to get into. It's a little and bit sweeter. And peat no is peat. where people are divided. Yeah, either I, you love it. I like or a little. I like a little peat, but I don't like heavy peated scotches. Yeah, uh, once it gets to a certain point and it just tastes like ground, I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> it just tastes like ground, <laughs> just like dirt. <laughs> so, Julie, what did you think? It's good. Are you a big scotch drinker? No, I'm a bourbon drinker. Okay. Yeah. What's your go-to bourbon? Blanton's. Okay. Yeah. Yep. If you can find it. We killed a bottle of that once. (laughs) 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 Sorry, Gabe. Sorry, Gabe. Another apology. (laughs) We'll be apologizing for that until we die. (laughs) How many bottles did you steal? So he loaned us one. And he said, y'all can try it for the podcast. It was a barrel pick. Oh. It was a barrel pick. So it was like even a harder... Like, not just Bland's. He was like, I'm excited to try this barrel from this store. Oh, no. Yeah. And we, somewhere, and. So, we tr- so we tried it on a podcast. And we forgot about that. When we, and then a couple weeks went by. I wasn't there to keep was, the group under control. It was longer than a couple weeks. <laughs> it was a couple, it was probably a couple months. And yeah. uh, the barrel was in the cabinet, and or the bottle was in the cabinet. The bottle got pulled and got finished off. Yikes. Yeah. So sorry, Gabe. Oh, that was, yeah, that was our bad. Some yeah. for some reason he's still donating to us for us to try stuff. <laughs> but Cliff is op- Cliff. You're opening a package. What did you get in the mail? Oh, my duck calls from Joe came in. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's pull them out. Let's see how fancy they are. I haven't. Uh, I waited purposely waited, but I was kind of trying to get through opening the box, so I wasn't making so oh, much. Oh, that's of a real disturbing. professional. Was it made out of panda or something? No. Why would it be made out of panda? I don't know. There's an Adam Sandler movie where he said that one time, and I just thought it was the funniest thing. <laughs> so anything, anytime something's like a little more expensive. He's got so a good presentation when you get him in the mail. Landon, yeah, Jay, you shouldn't have done this for me. Wow. Oh, and he's got the, like it's Oh, banded. that's cool. That's, yeah, that's a great Presentation's idea. Presentation's everything. It is. This is, this is legit. He told me because I texted him today and to tell him that I got the calls in, but I wasn't opening them until the podcast. He said he put a petrified dog turd in it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see that in here, Joe. <laughs> I'm a little upset. Are you gonna Are you gonna do your thing? Oh no! Oh, I want to turn on the volume. <laughs> All right, that's the bocat or her, however you say it. Uh huh. Bo- or the other one, bocat. What does the other one sound like? I like that. And then this one is in Coke bottle with an ivory. Wait, that's a Coke bottle? Yeah, Coke bottle like. Oh, okay. I thought it was like he was really like refurbishing Coke <laughs> bottles. It's like, that's awesome. That would be cool. I mean, he could be, but I think it's acrylic. Yeah. What is this one? This is an acrylic. They, they're both duck calls. No, but what type of duck? Yeah, but they're what? both mallard. Okay, okay. But so this wait, one, so, uh, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play. You know, dumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna pretend. I don't just. Yeah. Why do you need two mallard calls? So they're made out of different material, which gives different sounds. Okay. 
Now, yes, you can, depending on your air pressure and stuff, make this one sound a little bit more like this. You can walk them in. You can do soft quacks with this, but it takes a little bit more finagling and stuff. So you're going to get more sound out of the acrylic is what it sounds like. Yes, this one's going to carry a lot farther and be a lot louder, whereas this one is a little bit more of a muted, softer tones. Cool. So the way to think about it is... I mean, there's a reason why I wanted it. Like finesse and distance. Correct. Okay. Okay. There you go. So that was the boat. I forget how he pronounced the wood. Bocot? Bow something? That's fine. We call it hardwood. (laughs) And I'm not doing super great calling right now. We're all judging right now. Yeah. Because I I definitely know know and hear the It's kind of weird. I can hear his throat yeah. before I hit the sound. So it sounds kind of like you're humming, and then the call's coming. Kind of, sort of. And I'm not, like, making sure my diaphragm and everything's 100% right. I'm just kind of blowing right now. But I thought you were an expert. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, well. Joe, I really like these. They look. The pr- I, I got to say, if you want a duck call with nice presentation... That's the way to go. That's the way to go. The uh, little duck band is like that. Yeah, it's a like, solid. He sent me a couple extra reeds and some cork, in both of them as well. Cool. Did you play the clarinet growing up? No, I was a drummer. Uh, okay. Uh, Julie, you mentioned that you bought a motorcycle. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to talk about that? Because none of us know. Well, Zach sounded like he knew. No, just because I I want one. I'm very envious. Yeah, but you used to ride dirt bikes. You said. Yeah, that. I did. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I was really torn. I uh, knew I wanted to Triumph, but I was shopping for a deal because I like deals. Mm. Who doesn't? Is it yeah. like anything like the car market right now and like the housing market where you just people think. are buying like everything up, so it's just hard to find a deal? You would think, yeah. And I think it's harder to get new bikes for sure. Okay. But this is a 2010. Uh, okay. And they're usually in the five grand mark, but I got a pretty good deal. Really? I'm not going to put it out there, but yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's a it's a 2010 uh, Triumph Bonneville, uh, classic, really beautiful bike. Oh yeah, it looks great. Yeah, he put uh, he put different exhaust pipes on it, so it kind of roars. So mm. it's kind of fun. Yeah. I think I set off the neighbor's alarm last night bringing it home, which <laughs> oh. was also fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't like your neighbors. No, they're good people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's great. I, I highly recommend it for anybody looking for a new hobby. Yeah, those How Triumphs like just they they like. I just love the way they look. They're so smooth. Really? Yeah. Yeah. How do you like to ride? What's your like Sunday morning rides? Sunday or do you, are you like motorcycle hundred percent of the time? No, I couldn't do that. No. No. You know, it's not uh it's not a, a situation of if it's a matter of when you get in a wreck. And so I like to be really picky about when I ride. I don't mm-hmm. ride in the rain. I uh I don't ride if there's a lot of traffic. I don't ride at five o'clock on a Tuesday. Yeah. Um I like mornings. Uh, mid-morning if I'm lucky and can take a little quick break from work, yeah. do a little run around. But uh, Sunday mornings are really my favorite. Yeah. Mm. Kinda, yeah. That's a, that's yeah, cool. That's it's so awesome. fun to get out in the countryside and yeah. away from people. And, you know, working in the city can, can get to you. Do you have a favorite ride, like a favorite place you like to go? You don't have to drop it if you're like, I don't want everybody going out there. Yeah, no, it's top secret. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, like with the hill country, honestly. Like, oh, yeah. Pick yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. Dime a dozen. Yeah. If you catch it without people. I mean, 12 would be a lot of fun if there wasn't a boatload of people yeah. on it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a call. So it's this is our Halloween episode, right? This is the one that's coming yeah, out closest out. to ha- Halloween. Yeah. So this is Honey Hole 
Sorry. I'm trying to get a picture for Joe. (laughs) (laughs) So we, happy Halloween, everyone. Spooky season. Spooky season. We, last year we called the donkey lady. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to do it again for you guys. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. And then we'll do, let Zach do his new creature. Now remember last year she is selling fried chicken. And sweet tea do you or think something. She's, do you think she's selling again? Okay, now what if she if actually change. answers this time, though? Oh, then we'll just talk And it's her. not the voicemail? Yeah. That would be cool if she actually answered. Uh, hopefully, she changed it, whoever does it. Yeah. Like so, each year, it's something new. Yeah. We'll see what happens. All right. I'm calling. My shape of dripping stalactite, ramping, hand like whose I am, Uncle Hunto Goddess. I know the poses. Menestisa Linga, Earth Sky Free, Chicken Fried, and Sweet Tea. <laughs> Chicken Fried and Sweet Tea. I am the Donkey Lady. Maybe we've met before. Hold back. I guess we're leaving a voicemail for her now. Uh oh. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting that. I was like, like, beeped. I was like, all right, I guess we're leaving her a voicemail. What do we say? (laughs) Hey, donkey lady. I think it was the same one from last year. Chicken fried and sweet tea was definitely dropped last year. That's also like the only words you can really make out. Yeah. Yeah. I like that tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so, Zach, since uh, it's the Halloween episode, why don't we do Creature Watch first? That sounds good. Okay, right, guys. So, Creature Watch this week <laughs> is the story of the Baku. Okay. So, Baku are Japanese supernatural be- beings that are said to devour nightmares. Right. So, so it sounds like a good creature. It could be right. It could be a good creature. Yeah, starting strong for a good creature. Right, exactly. But now, they were created <laughs> when the gods were creating different animals. They had a bunch of leftover pieces and so they created this thing, the Baku. Okay. Right? They have a long history in Japanese folklore and art, right? And uh they appear at different shows and stuff like that. Any shows we would be familiar with? No. Okay. Yeah. Uh the Japanese term Baku has two different meanings. Uh, the both the dream devouring creature and the tapir, tape ear. Yeah. Okay. Like the actual animal, the tapir. Mm. Right. It looks kind of like an anteater. Okay. Right. Yeah. And like a pig anteater. Yeah. You know. When would you guys say, knowing that is a dish like traditional Japanese folklore? When would you guys say that these kind of these stories kind of started? Ten thousand years ago. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna guess like two thousand BC. I'm going to say 1776. Because <laughs> <laughs> nothing started before that. <laughs> exactly. That's the only thing that's important, I guess. Uh, actually, this surprised me. It was the 14th and 15th century. Okay. So, like, not that long ago. Yeah. I was only off by about 100 years. I know. You were close. And actually, uh, when they really started to, like, kind of use the story of the Baku, like, it was in the 1700s. So, so boom. Yeah. So. Oh, everyone thought I was dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 1700s, that's not true. Uh, all right, so it is described as a creature that's a little shy, right? Uh, has an elephant trunk, a rhinoceros eyes, an ox's tail, and tiger's paws, 
which actually protected it against evil. However, eating nightmares originally was not included in its abilities. That changed in 1791, right? Uh, when people started creating these creatures with like the Japanese wood and stuff like that, and they would tell these stories to, to come out with it. And apparently these like artists would create these uh, Japanese wood like statues and they would sell them to people to keep by their bedside at night. So they told the story of like, oh, hey, like if you buy one of these, this will protect you and eat your nightmares, right? So they had this story. People would come by and be like, I want them to eat my nightmares. And they would buy one of these statues. Speaking of nightmares. Uh Uh-huh. I've been eating a lot of that hot sauce, <laughs> and every time I do now, uh-huh. I have weird, like weird dreams. <laughs> Very oh, really? Yes. Weird like dreams. every single time I eat Jack's hot sauce now. I want to know about the weird dream. So I you, can't remember so, them off my top of my head right now. So, but so a buddy of a friend of ours who moved to Tennessee started growing extremely hot peppers in his backyard. Like every hobby. type of pepper, like you can every imagine. from like not hot at all to like the hottest peppers in the world. And he uh, fermented the peppers and made hot sauce for us, and we tried it on the show one week. It was good. Cliff has been hoarding it because it's so good. It's very hot, but it's also good. Apparently, it's giving him nightmares now. I wouldn't say nightmares, but they're weird dreams. It's got some psilocybin in it. Yeah, it it has something. (laughs) It's got some weird dreams. I'm not saying it's psilocybin, but it's something that's making me have some... It's weird. Like, straight up weird. Would you like to describe one of your dreams, uh, or is it not appropriate? No, they're nothing like that, but I don't want to describe them either. Okay. I could tell you, like, after off air. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. All right, guys. So, I have to go on with the back. Um, So, legend has it that a person would have a nightmare, right? They'd wake up in the middle of the night and they would call out, like, if you're calling out to Beetlejuice, you know, like, Baku, come eat my dream, right? However, they warn that if you would do this too often, they can actually eat so many of your nightmares that it starts to actually eat your regular dreams as well. And with dreams, it also means that it eats your hopes and desires, right? So, like, literally eating, like, your dreams for the future, it also So, that's hopes. where the butt is. Exactly, right? That is always a butt. If you call on him too much to take care of your nightmares, he will essentially take all... That's, yeah, that's not going to work. No. Yeah. Cliff, <laughs> so. can, can you go a whole podcast without fidgeting with your dick <laughs> yeah, the whole time? Can. Man, I got to get you, like, a fidget spinner or something. <laughs> Please? <laughs> uh, let's see. There's one other thing... Uh, oh yeah, most of the time it was the children who were saying it, and that's where the little statue would go. It'd go next to like p- parents would buy it for their children, and they put it on the nightstand. Okay, so you yeah, it's a cool one. I thought it was neat. Yeah, that's pretty neat. I'll go next with Florida man. Florida man, no fooling. All right, it's kind of like hold my beer. All right, you know what I'm saying? It's just Florida man. That's all it is. Headline: Florida man wielding sword sets fire on roadway. Floods booking office after arrest. Wait, what? Floods? Okay. Florida man wielding sword sets the road on fire. Okay. Floods the booking office. Uh-huh. Like, after they arrest him, he floods the booking office. That's great. How'd he flood it? Titusville, Florida. Authorities say when they arrived to four feet high flames in a, a Brevard County roadway, they found a man holding a sword and drinking alcohol. Deputies say they were on active patrol when they spotted the flames on Craig Avenue. Oh, this was reported on on October 10th, by the way. Okay, so recent. Yeah. According to police, the fire was in front of a man's home who they visited around five times in the past six months for legal burns. Officials say the fires range from being on the sidewalk to taking up the entire street. Officials say when they went to speak with suspect, 
uh, Scott Taylor. He was sitting in his front yard holding a sword in his hand and had a knife in his waistband. Police say he was also actively drinking in front of them and began chugging from a half-gallon-sized Captain Morgan spiced rum. (laughs) 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 Authorities say he dropped the knife and sword when asked but could not provide an answer as to why he started the fire in the roadway. He was arrested and taken to the police department. Police say while the man was in a holding cell, he intentionally broke a fire sprinkler head, causing water flood to flood the cell and booking room. Oh, see, I wouldn't have guessed that. I would have guessed he would have like stuffed everything he had into, into the, the toilet, toilet and then just kept flushing it. That would have been yeah. way grosser. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he faces charges of intentional or reckless burning of lands and felony criminal mischief. How did he get the street to catch fire? I'm sure you can get pretty creative after your half a bottle down of spice. That's true. Captain Morgan. Did you guys rum. ever do that thing where you took like spray deodorant and like would write your name? Um, I light it on fire. Yeah. yeah. And oh, yeah. Try to take a picture of it. Yeah. It was yeah. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Oh, <laughs> middle school <laughs> with a film <laughs> camera. <laughs> yeah. exactly. You just be like, "Oh, that works." <laughs> you got a bunch of really weird black pictures back when you developed yeah. it. <laughs> Parents, why did you take a bunch of pictures of the driveway? (laughs) (laughs) All right, Cliff, you ready? Yeah, sure. You're doing, uh, what are you doing today? Are you fidgeting with duck calls? You gonna both? Okay, are you doing on patrol? Yeah, it's kind of an on patrol story. (coughs) So, I, I don't have the article right in front of me, so I'm gonna kind of do it based off of memory. Yeah, okay. Well, I want to have a conversation. Oh, I okay. got it. Conversation. It's an art form that we're going <laughs> to go into here, Zach. That's right. See, okay. We're going to converse back and forth. Okay. Pay me like one of your French this. girls. Mm. <laughs> 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 All right. So <laughs> this, this article was uh, actually sent to me by a listener who I work with. And he started talking to me about it, I Wait, guess it was last week. a listener that you work with? Mm-hmm. That's all right. That's dangerous. All right, continue. Um, I'm nervous for you. <laughs> <laughs> so he came up to me last Friday and was talking to me about this. And uh, we had some other conversations, too. But he asked if I had knew anything about trail angels or anything like that he's like i know you're from like an area you've done a little bit more hiking than me do you know what trail angels are and i said no i don't he's like well i have this article it's all about trail angels and how they are holding people or giving help to people and then requiring them to give them money so what a trail angel is is if you're doing a long through hike like okay. the ACT, ACT, no, no, PCT, the AT, yeah, the AT or the PT or the Central one, whatever that is. It's the PCT and the PCT, AT. yeah, yeah, whatever. But if you're doing one, <laughs> if you figured it out, if you're doing one of those long hikes and stuff, where I mean everything you have for the next. Nine months is on your back, so you can't carry everything. Right. So what a trail angel does is it's people kind of local to the area or friendly to hikers and stuff will go and they'll sit up at like intersections and stuff and they'll help hikers get into town to get more supplies or even let them stay in their house to sleep, get a good home-cooked meal, shower, stuff like that. 
But a trend that's been happening is that when people are doing this, normally the school of thought is it was all like charity. Some people would get donations. A lot of trail angels would say they didn't even want donations. They were just doing it to be kind. Right. But now there's a trend of where it's an exchange of where these people say you're hiking, Zach. Mm -hmm. I pull over and I give you a ride to Walmart to let you get more supplies or whatever. And then as soon as I drop you, like, get back to where we are, I hold you until you pay me. Like, what? forcing you to pay me for driving you to Walmart. So that, that should be an agreed upon arrangement before taken to Walmart. Right. Yeah. Is, but I'm going to give people, you 10 bucks to take me in or whatever. These people yeah. aren't doing that. And it sounds it's like kind kidnapping. of actually, that's kind of what it sounded like when reading the article. It's kind of bizarre and weird. But huh. yeah, apparently it's the thing. So if you're into like through hiking, just kind of be careful, weary. Of your fellow man. If someone's going to, I mean, of your fellow man. <laughs> I mean, shoot, Uber's cheap. If you're going into a town, you need to go to Walmart. Yeah. Call I, I, get I, an Uber I'm sure the ones who are, uh, I'm sure there's legitimate ones out there and they just like talking to people and yeah. helping them out. It, it, yeah. And, and I'd say that's probably the vast majority, but this the hard has, thing is probably just deciphering between the two. Like, mm-hmm. well, are you going to be the person who charges me? You're going to, like you said, now, if somebody was like upfront and clear, like, hey, I'll take you in for 20 bucks or whatever. Yeah. That's like, fair. Yeah. Exactly. That's fair. That's agreed upon. And I'm pretty sure it's not the ones just like giving rides and stuff necessarily. Maybe they're asking for a little bit of gas money. But the way that like this article is like people who like, oh, yeah, come. I got a place you can stay. You can have a nice warm meal, a soft, comfortable bed and a hot shower. And then it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's your your bill for the night. Like it's a hotel. Like an Airbnb mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. just a DMB. To me, the arrangement needs to be made up front. It, yeah. No, I, I agree. But you know what a good solution to this problem would be? Airbnbs would, on the trail? No, on it would be nights. like uh, Trail <laughs> Angel's uh, website where if you want to be a tra- Trail Angel, you could make an account and then people can leave you reviews if you interact with them. So the people that are doing that are going to get bad reviews on that site and eventually people will stop using them. Yeah. yeah. And then the people that are really good and have high reviews, you know, that might be a an easy it might take a little while, but to get that built up. And there may be something that exists like that out there. I mean, there's an app for basically everything now, but yeah. hey, maybe we're onto an idea. Maybe. Why are we podcasting? We could be yep. making a So this is the last episode <laughs> <We could be laughs> <extorting laughs> trail hike through hikers <laughs> for money. <laughs> Are we extorting them, or are we creating an app to help them? (laughs) (laughs) Eh, Either one. (laughs) Cool. So my dad, uh, you mentioned that. My dad texted me yesterday. He's like, do you know what micro fishing is? And I was like. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I didn't really. Like, I kind of thought I knew what he was talking about. But I was like, I just said, no. I I haven't heard of it like. Yeah. It's like a micro fishing. It's like super light tackle. Right? No, no it's they want fishing. to catch the smallest fish possible. Yeah, it's oh. fishing for like minnows, oh. basically. Oh, that's kind of sick. They're the base of the food chain. Yeah. You hurt your minnows, and you're definitely not going to have any big fish to catch. Well, they don't care about big fish. They just want the micro <laughs> fish. <laughs> they just want the minnows. Yeah. I, I caught this. I caught I, the well, smallest they, fish. My personal record. Are they doing it? Are they doing it to like catch bait and then throw that minnow on a? 
hooking. But why though? Like small fish aren't even pr- like okay. They don't small bait fish aren't even pretty. You know what I mean? Like true, s- true. Small, like small minnows. There are some really pretty minnows in the world though. Yeah, I just true. can't get excited about it. Nah, I I want the play. I want to fight it. Oh, see, I don't care about catching big fish. Like I wouldn't say that, but it's still. But I like catching pan. I like catching like even if it's like a small panfish, they're fun. They pull, they tug. Yeah, they're pretty. But like, think of catching something one thirtieth thirtieth the size of a small panfish. Where's the sport in that? Yeah. Did they catch it with a net? No water bottle. You know, you just water bottle. You just do a thing where you, you squeeze it, it, and then you just like open up in the water and get sucked in. I think it's much more challenging and sportsmanlike to catch big fish on light tackle. Oh yeah. I mean, even little fish, but on super light tackle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'll catch like six inch brookies all day. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it from now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head-to-head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge-of-your-seat action, you'll refuse to shave. Or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. Are we switching gears to what? Yeah, you have something you want to say? Yeah, I wanted to address something that Zach said again on the last podcast. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I'm calling him out. He said that we had a good run of no poop talk. Yeah. And that I was the one who broke it. I want to call false. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because well. on the Joe Briscoe episode, you did talk about so hippopotamus l- poop. L- let me. I did talk about hippo poop. Let me get this straight. You are listening to our old episodes <laughs> and documenting. What we you're talk documenting about poop? what we talk about, and you're bringing them up again in future episodes for. What reason? Personal gain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> At least he's honest. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, record. He's got a brand. He's got to stick to it. <laughs> he's got coworkers that listen. He's got to make sure he <laughs> brings a poop. At least we, he knows we didn't talk about it last week. Yeah. So <laughs> I just wanted to say that I wasn't the one who broke it because y'all always like to put, pin it on me as the only one who brings it up. True. But the last time you broke it. Okay. You brought it up twice today. Have I? Yeah. In the, like the first like minute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on, I'm switching the topic. So Julie, will you, uh, before we get into, uh, or as we get into talking about Devil's River Conservancy, what do you do for the Devil's River Conservancy? I do a lot. Uh, My the, understanding is you do everything. Well, I have a very active board of directors that do a lot as okay. well. There's a lot going on. Um, you know, it's a little river, but it needs a lot of help to stay as wild and pure as it is. 
So I do all the back end, all the administrative work, but I also develop programs. I fundraise. I'm on the front end working with landowners, trying to create programs to protect the resource and also highlight and address um, new issues in the watershed. If someone were to call the Devil's River Conservancy email uh, or phone number or shoot you or shoot you an email, are you the person that's responding? That's me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I'm the boots on the ground, I guess you'd say. Yeah. 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 It's a lot of fun. We get a lot of interesting phone calls. Um, you know. Ooh, let's talk about that. What are some interesting phone calls you've received? <laughs> if you want. To yeah. <laughs> well, well, I guess we can talk about a few of them. We get a lot of calls about people wanting to go down the river. Mm. Uh, we are not an outfit in service. We are strictly there to protect and preserve the river. Um, but it does give us an opportunity to talk with those people about why and how, if they're going to go, they should go. Uh, utilizing a, an outfitter, especially a guided outfitter like Angel Outfitters or um, Kevin Stubbs' group. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot of great partners in the outfitting world that can take you on a trip you'll never forget and also leave a mini school footprint. And yeah. those are the people you should go with when you're doing the Devils. We highly recommend going with somebody who knows the river. So over like DIYing it, like going out with just Absolutely. a couple buddies. And, yeah, because yeah. the, the average DIYer is going to have an enormous footprint because they don't know and they're underprepared. Right. Even though we've put out a lot of educational information, mm-hmm. they're probably 75% prepared at best. Yeah, There's always going to be something Yeah, if it's their first time. Now there are a handful of people that have been before and if they go with somebody who's been before, then they may know better. But right, but it's just yeah. hard. Like if, it's, if it's someplace you've never been, absolutely. It's yeah. I mean it's an infamous river, you know, for a reason. So yeah, it's well, a really it's extremely special. remote yeah. and wild, and I don't think that people they may have gone fly fishing once, and they're like, I bought a ki- I just bought a kayak. I'm gonna go do the Devils, but it's three days. I don't minimum. know minimum minimum three days. Yeah, three days minimum. There's no way off the river. You have to stay on the river. Uh, there are snakes. You know, if you break a leg out there. You're SOL. You're SOL. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think people realize that. It's like going that into remote. It. Yeah. yeah. There, I mean, there's been people die out there because they were underprepared. Really? It's nothing to mess around with. Yeah. But it is a really, really special place. And even if you never get to go there. You should care about it because this is a piece of Texas that needs to be this wilderness experience, which is so important to the human soul, needs to be preserved for generations. Yeah. So what makes the Devil's River so special? Ah, the characterization of the river. It is, um, let's see, it is one of the dark six darkest places in the world. The state natural area is technically the designated area, but of course that extends around the watershed. Do so you mean darkest as in night it's, sky? It's a okay. dark, it's a... Um, it's a dark sky sanctuary. Okay, that's why. That's one what of I thought six you meant. designated. Do you know where the, the other six are? Uh, no, I don't. They're not all in the United States. Okay. Yeah, you'd, you'd okay. have to look on IDA to check okay. that out. Okay. But yeah, um, and I know there's more and more attention being drawn to the dark sky things, yeah. which is awesome because we need to protect our dark places. We don't really understand as a society the impact of darkness on our ecosystem. Yeah. I don't think that has really hit home yet, mm. but it's incredibly valuable. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a tangent. Um, but, uh, okay, characterizing the watershed. Um, we have several unique species because we are at the crossroads of three ecosystems, the uh, Tomalipan brush country coming up from the south, the Chihuahuan Desert coming over from the west, and the Edwards Plateau coming from the east. 
we have a really unique habitat for species from all of those ecoregions and some species that are just in the Devils. Uh, the Dev- Devils River Minnow is one of those. It's in a few other little locations nearby, but primarily in the Devils. Gotcha. And we were talking about minnows earlier. Yeah. I mean, they are the baseline of the fish ecosystem. Right. So if you start fishing on your minnows, you're going to have an impact on their population. Yeah, change everything else that eats it. Yeah. I mean, they're they're the cornerstone. They're part of the reason the Devils is one of the best fisheries in Texas, one of the best bass fisheries in Texas. Yeah. And now it's protected. We've uh, worked with Parks and Wildlife to make it entirely catch and release. So wow, okay. the fish are smarter. Is yeah. that game fish only? Uh, that's black bass only. Black bass okay. only. Okay. Yeah, you can still keep the catfish, but I don't recommend it. You know, it's a really unique ecosystem. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the Texas hornshell mussel. It's both the minnow and the mussel are federally listed. The minnow is threatened and the mussel is endangered. Okay. Uh, it's the only endangered mussel in the state of Texas. And it's a uh, mussels are obviously filter feeders. It's part of the reason the devils is so pure, clear, and, clear yeah. and phenomenal. Yeah, it's a really special little mussel. Yeah, it's only found in a few other places, and uh, they're working on designating the critical habitat right now through uh, Fish and Wildlife Service. So the whole river, the would whole be river would be designated. Okay. Yeah. Would yeah. that would that change how people could fish it? No, but it would change how people kayak it. Okay. So um, the minnow, or excuse me, the the mussel is uh, a bed dweller. So in those cobble beds where it's not too deep and not too shallow, mm-hmm. that's where the mussel lives. And if you go paddling during low flow, you can have impact on the mussel beds. Right. We are working on the science side of this, but we, you know, you can see the drag lines. And right now, it's just anecdotal, but. There is an impact there. Right. And we need to be conscious of that. And you guys are trying to figure out what the actual impact is. Yeah. Okay. Of course. Yeah. And, and the Devils is also, I'm kind of going off on a lot of tangents. No, that's you're fine. Good. That's no, you're okay. good. We got time. You're here. Yeah. So. Okay. Um, the Devils is one of, well, it is the only river in Texas, aside from the Rio Grande, that requires a permit to go down. If you're launching, uh, if you're putting in or taking out on a state natural area, you have to have a permit. I don't think I knew that. I think I only knew. I th- Knew that there was guys, but I did not know you had to have a permit to go down it. If you want to put in or take out on one of the state natural yeah. areas, yeah. All right. And the permits, you know, we've we've set it up with Parks and Wildlife, of course. They're running the show, but it's 12 people a day can launch. And even that's a little heavy yeah. to really maintain that wilderness experience that you're out there for. Because yeah. you could grow with a really close group of four people and have a phenomenal trip, but if you're out there bumping into another group the whole time, that's going to kind of kill it. Yeah. Because you want to be in the wild with your three best buds. Right. And have that experience. You don't have to worry about any, like running into another group. Yeah. Or they're like blaring music or, yeah. you know, doing other things that people can do that are obnoxious. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a whole list. Like, <laughs> like obnoxious motorcycle tailpipes. <laughs> 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 I totally understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what is the history of some of the history that's happened on the devils? I know that there's uh, pictographs mm-hmm. on the devils, but what is some of the uh, history? Yeah. So some of the other things that make the devil so special, aside from its dark skies and unique critters, uh, we are in a uh, national landmark district, a designated national landmark district, because of the plethora of rock art sites. We have rock art all over the canyon walls in various places. Most of it's on private property. Uh, so if you're if you're out there paddling, there is one site you can see from the river, and that's the notorious uh, Turkey Bluff mm-hmm. down in the Blue Sage Stretch. And you can see it from the river with your binoculars. It's really cool to see. 
Um, but there's also the White Shaman over on the Pecos that I highly recommend. But the rock art in Valverde County is really special. It's 6,000 plus years old. And our partners at Shumla uh, Archaeological School have been studying it for years now. And they've studied the White Shaman over on the Pecos most extensively. Um, it's a, it's a, it's been the devils and the Pecos in Valverde County have been a mecca for people for a long time because of the water resources there. Mm. And you can see that throughout history. Uh, let's see. So we talked about the people. We talked about the ecosystem. What are we yeah, missing? So um, what is the history of the Devil's River Conservancy? When were you guys founded? Why did you guys, why did you come together and create the organization? So the DRC was formed back in 2010 in the face of threats to export large amounts of groundwater to the city of San Antonio, but also Midland, Odessa, and San Angelo. This is back in the drought of 2010-2011. If you'll remember, it was, I mean, people almost wanted to compare it to the 50s. It was a really bad drought. And um, we became aware, our founders became aware of, uh, of a bid from the city of San Antonio for a pipeline. And there was a proposal from Valverde County. And we don't have a groundwater conservation district out there. So without a conservation district, you're subject to the rule of capture. So the man with the biggest pump can pump all he wants, regardless of the impact to his neighbors. And there were, there was a, a water marketer that had put together this plan to pump and pipe water out from the Devil's River watershed. And the DRC formed around the fight to stop that. Mm. And it wow. was, uh, and that was landowners who owned property on the Devils, right? On both sides of that, on both they sides. Were, yeah. So like they're on, like some of them wanted to do it, and some of them did not. That's right. Okay. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, and water's a you know very touchy topic in our yeah. state. Well, yeah. People say that's going to be the big fight in the next fifty years. Oh, it already is. Yeah. It has been big yeah. time. Yeah. And but water is critical. We have to have it to live. Yeah. Uh, and so do the mussels and so do the minnows and so do the free-tailed bats and the monarchs and everything that uses the Devil's River as yeah. a, a waypoint or exists there. So uh, what ended up happening of that? Obviously, that didn't happen at this point, but what's kind of the story? Uh, so they found it around that to fight against that. What was the ultimate outcome of that? I think we know the answer, but how did that outcome come to be? Um well, there was a massive PR launch by the Devil's River Conservancy and other stakeholders. Were you on board at this point? No, this was before my time. Okay. So I can't speak to it entirely. Mm -hmm. But uh, there was uh, there was a lot of PR push to, to stop it and highlight the significance of the Devils. I mean, yeah. it is our last wild and pristine river. And it would be a crying shame if we gave that up to flush toilets and water lawns in San Antonio. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, really. You can't compare those two things. No. It's just... Now, <clears throat> it could have been an old article that was kind of resurfacing, but uh, I remember like probably like two or three years ago, that same conversation about pipe pumping water from the devils, is it, is it kind of cyclical? Like, does it kind of come back around every... Unfortunately, yes, it's yeah. a little cyclical. And but that's because you don't have, you said you don't have a, a... Well, not just because we don't have a conservation district. Okay. Because, for instance, Burleson, where the city of San Antonio went for that pipeline mm -hmm. that was proposed to the devils, they have a conservation district. So uh, ha just having a, a what is called a GCD, Groundwater Conservation District, doesn't prohibit a pipeline out of your county to export water. Okay. We can go really deep on this topic. <laughs> no, I, I, think we're, I think we're interested. We got, we got plenty of time to. Yeah. But I think this is, I think 
people, a lot of people just know the, sur- you scratch the surface, but yeah. I'm interested in the gory, bloody details. Yeah, so. I think listeners are too, typically. Yeah, so. and okay. this might make them more aware of, I mean, we have listeners all over the state, yeah. all, all over the U.S., and this might make them more aware of the conservation district in their area and ah. some things they need to be aware of. Absolutely. It's really important to know where your water comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that is, it's on par with knowing what's going on in your airspace. Yeah. You know. Is, uh, I'm sorry, is San Marcos on the aquifer as well? San Marcos is pulling water from, um, uh, what's the lake? Canyon Lake. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't taste very good. <laughs> but that's because there's a lot of development in the watershed. You know yeah. how many houses are around Canyon Lake and oh, how many yeah. septic Dumped. systems? And oh, yeah. Ooh, that is not a good situation over yeah. there. Yeah. No. Uh, the water quality, I mean, we haven't tested it or anything, yeah. but it's just... Uh, what do you think of San Antonio's water? I don't. You like that Burleson water? I, I hate San Antonio tap water. I, say, I, I think it's because being in Lubbock where it's just like you taste dirt every time you get water. But that's another tangent. <laughs> uh, I mean, I grew up drinking Ozark, Ozark water. No, no, I mean, pretty much it was uh, what comes out of the the pipes in Atlanta and surrounding areas is Dasani water. So if you're mm-hmm. okay with drinking Dasani from your tap, then you had it pretty good. There you go. Yeah. And here, all I taste is the hard mineral and everything in it just tastes chalky to You got to get your daily vitamins, Cliff. I take them already. <laughs> so, uh, back to the, the. I think it tastes G- fine. It's just that there's a texture to it to me that I can't get over. That's true. So, what you call, you call it the GC. Groundwater Conservation District, GCD. Okay. Yeah, and it, it's not bulletproof. Um, and there are plenty of flawed. Because the way that a, a GCD is formed is with its uh, incorporation through the legislature. And that can be written. Through a, is that through a county or through a city? It's usually done by the county, which, okay. uh, if you look geologically, doesn't make a lot of sense. We do have some GCDs that try to follow the watershed and try to follow the outline of the aquifer. Those tend to work a little better, in my humble opinion. So it's so even if the water watershed goes through the county, but then goes into another county... They if only the have control over, over what's that. in the county. For instance, the Devil's River watershed extends up into Schleicher, Sutton, Crockett, Edwards counties. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those have GCDs. Okay. So if all of them do, it's a good thing. But if even one of them didn't, they could kind of bypass all the other ones and get, then go to the one. Right. Okay. So to put it in layman's terms, the lower downslope you go, the closer your aquifer gets to the top. Right, mm-hmm. and so the uh, the aquifer, the Edwards Trinity Aquifer, which feeds the Devils, is expressed as surface water in Valverde County. Okay, and so uh, pretend that this cup had a had a straw in it, and is full of water, and you stick that straw in there, and you take a drink. Well, even though you're taking water from the bottom of the cup, the top of the cup is going down. Right, and your springs are coming out of the top of the cup. So if you're drawing water out of that aquifer, you're lowering the water table, and you're drying up your springs, which are feeding your river. So eventually, you're going to cut off the flow to the river. Yeah, because and of the, that. The Devils is entirely spring-fed, mm. entirely. Mm. I mean, there's a little bit of runoff from rain, but we get what 16 inches of rain out there a year. Yeah, it's not enough to flow 200 cfs down that river. Yeah. yeah. What is the average flow of the river? What or what would you can yeah? What would you consider normal good flows? Um, and then what do you consider, oh, it's getting pretty low and cause um, for concern? 
You know, I think anything under one, 120, 125 is way too low. Um, it's a big wide river, so it's it's a little tough to read sometimes. But best flow, optimum flow, 200, 250. Okay. 250 is, I mean, that's a it's challenge. Moving. Yeah, because yeah, she's flowing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, you know, it's a really, again, really special river. One of the last really wild paddle trips in our state, and we've got to protect it. So, uh, it's you said it's critical bird habitat. Uh, what birds are? What types of birds are you guys seeing out a there? A plethora. We have ducks, which I'm not. I'm not a bird <laughs> expert, so take this with a grain of salt. Cliff's I'm gonna ears be per- per- <laughs> ducks. You said ducks. Yes. You need to grab my calls. We have a lot of ducks. <laughs> 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 the black cap vireo are out there. Um, there are some golden cheek warbler that trickle over. It's not a nesting area or anything, but they they that's do good. trickle over, and that's about where my bird expertise stops. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, we do have the Montezuma quail, which is pretty cool and rare. Oh, cool. Um, and we have scaled quail, of course. What is the Mexican blind cat? Oh, so and the Mexican. you said that you listed it as endangered on yeah. the sheet. You emailed yeah. me. I'm glad you brought that up because the Mexican blind cat is this really interesting teeny tiny little catfish. He's like, what, two and a half inches max? Uh-huh. And he's blind and he's white. And it's a catfish. And it's a catfish. Okay. And he lives in the aquifer. Okay. Yeah. He's really, he's a very special little fish that lives in the caves in the aquifer. And um, they found him in Mexico, and they recently found him in Good Enough Springs, which is technically on the Rio Grande, and they found him in caves on the Devils. Wow, okay. That's pretty cool. That's yeah. really cool, yeah. That is interesting. I'm now fascinated by that and want more information. <laughs> what What do they eat? How do they, you no know, idea? I should I should know more about that. Well, what? So the Edwards Aquifer has the the salamander. salamander. Yeah, right? and we actually we have salamanders over there too. Mm-hmm. They're not very well characterized yet. Uh, so you guys haven't just like gone in and? Well, they're a little bit hard to get to, as you can yeah. imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really. They're way down there in the cave, yeah. in the aquifer. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could have when they were building the wind farm out there and blasting into the aquifer and filling it with concrete. I guess we could have run out and said, "Hey guys, slow down. Can we look for this real quick?" But <laughs> can we? We didn't have that opportunity. Can we document so the salamanders? <laughs> yeah, that's sure. a good uh, point to start talking about. Is the wind one of your more recent and ongoing? challenges is a wind farm yes and so will you talk about that and uh did its development from china yeah uh, do you want me to finish the water story yeah no go ahead okay go ahead so we formed around this water fight and then building on that though the aquifer and the river system was not very well understood when drc was first formed and so there's all this conjecture about well your science is bad science our science is good science from both sides would be water pumpers and conservationists and so drc tried to be the honest broker and develop positive of science uh, by partnering with state agencies. And so we've worked with state agencies to broker access with private landowners to do critical groundwater and surface water research. We partnered with the Southwest Research Institute to do one of the first of its kind integrated surface water and groundwater flow models to better understand the relationship between the surface water and the groundwater. And we've also partnered with uh, the Bureau of Economic Geology at UT to do spring flow studies. And we're, we're elaborating on our understanding of the water system out there. Because it's a, it's a karst aquifer, which essentially means a sponge, a rock sponge with holes in it. Some holes bigger than other holes. Mm-hmm. 
The bigger holes are referred to as conduits or preferential flow paths, and they generally align with creeks and streams. Technically, Valverde County used to be under the ocean, and as the ocean receded, it cut those paths where the rivers and creeks now are into the limestone. And so if you go even deeper into the limestone, you can see these conduits where water flows down course, of course. Yeah. And uh, um, so we, we've... We've done a lot of work there with the Nature Conservancy, Parks and Wildlife, the Water Development Board, and the Bureau of Economic Geology to better understand those water patterns so that we can better understand how to manage them fairly, equitably, and protect the water resource. Yeah. Have a lot of landowners in in the past 10 years jumped on board with the Devils? Because you said it was very divided in the beginning. It's still pretty divided. It's still pretty really? divided. Yeah. And we, uh, we are excited to launch a new program, a Watershed Protection Planning Program. And the purpose behind this, these watershed protection plans are generally targeted towards streams that have been degraded, that have some sort of water quality issue. But we're trying to take a proactive approach and bring together the community to talk about protecting what is already pristine and in hopes of maintaining its uh, integrity. So instead of having to build up what we kind of broke down, yeah. it's like, let's recognize what these things already are and hold them here rather than having to fight and bring them back. Because you really can't, you will never get, a river that's been degraded, unless you remove the people entirely, you're never going to get it back to what it was. Yeah. And even if you do remove the people, it's going to take many lifetimes. Right. Yeah. So the best way is just to keep it before it even begins. Sort of yeah, thing. prevent the degradation. Yeah. And that's our hopes with this watershed protection plan. Um, it is a, a daunting task because there. this is a deep set issue with lots of rifts in the community. And our hope is that we can bring the community together to uh, decide on the science, figure out what way we want to go and how we want to get there and and work together to protect the shared resource. So it's called the Watershed Protection Plan. Plan, okay. Yeah. And are you guys using this plan for other watersheds as well or just the Devils? We are strictly focused on the Devils. Uh-huh. We are entirely Devils River Conservancy. Yeah, no, no, yeah. definitely. I just didn't know, if, you know. Yeah. If there's any other. But one. this has been applied to a lot of places. Uh, Jacob's Well, mm-hmm. they did one on Cypress Creek. That's actually the format we're using mm-hmm. because okay. they integrated the groundwater into that uh, conversation. So what are... Um, what what are some of the issues where there's decisiveness or dis- disagreement um, between between landowners on on the devils on the water issue on the water issue yeah. the pumping water the pumping water is so it. what is the benefit purely financial to pump water away from the devils I'm just trying to understand to I mean, to get like, both if, to get both sides of the argument because I, in if, my mind I'm like. I like what you guys are doing. I like everything you're saying. It makes sense. I'm just trying to get my mind around what someone who opposes that and their reasoning behind it. Because if you ideally like it, they have this like piece of something that can never be the same again. Especially if I was a landowner. Right. Like, and, and I then, had a connection to the river. Right. You start Why would I want to take away from that? Right. And Eventually. I can't understand that. So I'm, I'm just trying to understand for myself where... Why, why isn't why everybody somebody, on? Why isn't everybody on board and gung ho yeah, about? Like, why is this even a fight? Yeah, <laughs> purely financial. Really? Okay. 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 And in my mind, I guess that makes sense. It must just be so lucrative that it's just like. But it's not yet. You know. Really. It's really not. Not without a pipeline. Okay. That's why they're fighting for the pipeline because that's where they. Yeah, and as we mentioned earlier, this this uh, threat of a pipeline keeps resurrecting. 
because we don't have a conservation district. But there's also a flip side to that. So if we had a conservation district, they could get the bond in to build the pipeline. So that's something else to be. Oh, like there's a back channel way to get it if that's there. Okay. So many ways to skin a cat. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about windmills because that is something that you guys have been fighting a lot yeah. recently. So what's yeah. the story behind the windmills? What was the idea behind them? So back in 2015, uh, a Chinese conglomerate uh, named Brazos Highland Properties came in and purchased 130,000 acres of land across the watershed and into the Pecos watershed, but all in Valverde County uh, with the intention of building wind farms. And uh, almost overnight, really, in 2015 as well, the Rock Springs Valverde Wind Farm cropped up on the eastern edge of the watershed. And uh, some landowners brought it to our awareness, and we uh, we immediately jumped on it and said, okay, what are, what are the impacts of this? What happened here? We found that they actually blasted into the aquifer, into the bedrock, to uh-huh. fill karst features, which are generally recharge features, along the Carter Valley fault line um, to fill it with concrete to stabilize the base of a handful of the turbines that are in this rock spring's so those turbines already built. Yeah, like there's, there's and no they 69 were, of them. Yeah, And they wow. were built in 2015. And, and there was like no prior notice. No, nothing. So they don't have to do any kind of like ecological impact survey. Oh, they do. But, they do, but, but it's there's not, probably ways to... You pay for the science, you control yeah, the science. Yeah, exactly. You pay for the person doing it. And then, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, when that happened, it kind of raised some red flags, and we said, oh, what's going on here? And we started digging, we found that one of the largest landowners in that farm was this Brazos Island, uh, yeah, Brazos Island Properties. And um, we noticed that, well, wow, these guys have bought a lot of land. They bought 130,000 acres, give or take. What are they going to do? And we started digging further, and got to know them a little bit and sure enough they're planning to build wind farms on all of that property and so this was this is a been a four-year fight we launched the uh, don't blow it texas campaign to raise awareness yeah yeah they're great don't blow it with a wind turbine crossed out on our beautiful river um and you know the impact of a turbine a singular turbine in a place that's already under uh under service to man's needs like in Lubbock, where we're farming cotton. That makes sense. That's a good place to put a turbine. It's a good place to harvest the wind. They've got great wind up there. But the Devil's River, the last wild and pristine river left in Texas with the darkest skies and the purest water and the the uh, uh, archaeological history, does it make sense to put a turbine there? Does that sound like a great place to industrialize? No, and, th- and plus, turbines are loud, too. Like, yeah, they yeah, really are. I mean, you guys... Is- We've been at your place. We have windmills. Yeah. Yeah. And And it's like jets constantly going overhead. They're loud. And uh, they have the red lights. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a million Rudolphs in the sky. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even think about the lights. Oh, the lights are terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't imagine at night where it's like, okay, this is it. And then you just see nothing but blinking red lights talked about me and When me and Cliff podcasted, we talked about with SpaceX, is that there's a right place to put a launch facility and there's a wrong place to put a launch facility and they put it in the wrong place yeah. around all of these, you know, beautiful, natural protected areas. Um, it just doesn't make sense where well, there is somewhere that would be a right place yeah. to well, put those launch pads. And then the irony too, with the windmills, it's like, you know, ideally 
You know, yeah, they are a clean yeah. energy, you know, like that's like the whole thing behind it. And then you destroy a whole part. Yeah, you destroy right. an ecosystem to save another. Yeah. Yeah. That's why we came up with don't blow it. Yeah. And don't blow it by putting it in the wrong place. We yeah. need renewable energy. We need to diversify our energy portfolio. Right. But we don't need to sacrifice our last wild places to do it. Not when there's plenty of other no. places to make yeah. it work. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's been a four-year fight. We've tried many different angles, uh, and ultimately, yeah, will you go into the details of some of those? I'm I'm interested in the the dirty details. Okay. Of, yeah, yeah. To go into the, some of the dirty details of what that fight has looked like. So first, we started the campaign, and we tried to stay pretty high level. You know, look, this river is really precious. It's not a good place for turbines. We're not anti-renewable energy, but you know, there's a, there's a place for these things. Right. And um, and then that didn't really take. So we tried the birds and bats and bees. We've got we've got monarch butterflies. We've got major nesting sites for the free-tailed bats. We've got uh, bald and golden eagles that nest here. This is not a good place for turbines. Um, we tried to pass legislation that would have given Parks and Wildlife a, authority to site wind farms in Valverde County uh-huh. because they they have an enormous investment in public lands. I think we have over a hundred thousand acres of public land in Valverde County. Which is pretty significant considering. Considering the amount, that's like a tenth of all the public land is yeah, in one county. It's know? pretty darn close. And I mean, one more tenth is out in Big Bend. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nuts. Um, but they've made an enormous investment there. So they were willing to take on, uh, Parks and Wildlife was willing to take on uh, siding wind farms in mm-hmm. Valverde County around public spaces. Uh, we tried to pass that. It failed, unfortunately. We tried again this past session. It also failed. What is that? Okay, so what does that look like, trying to pass that? You guys bring a bill up? You bring a bill. You get uh, some sympathizers on your side in the House or the Senate that are willing to write and file a bill. Uh, you, get you just the, need one? You technically just need one, right. yeah. Yeah, you need one senator or House rep. Mm-hmm that's willing to file a bill and then you got to convince everybody else to support it. Yeah. You get it through, you steward it through committee and then uh, first you have to get it assigned to committee yeah. and you steward it through committee and then from committee it goes to the house or the Senate floor. And that's when you make your rounds. Yeah. Well, no, you're making your rounds the whole, the time. whole time. Yeah. yeah. Cause you, you got to tee it all up. Yeah. First you've got to get the speaker to assign it and then it goes, well, if you're going through the house, you can also go through the Senate. There's there's two different avenues, but it has to go through both houses. At some point, yeah. yeah. Or if you're really good, and this is probably getting too far into politics, which are off limits, but if no, you're no, really no, you're good. good. This is okay, we're not going to argue about it. That's, okay. that's the yeah. cutoff. So. <laughs> yeah. We just don't want like uh, national current political <laughs> issues. Yeah. And if you, if you want to listen to that, there's plenty of other podcasts you can listen to, but that's not ours. Right. But we are interested in this what we're talking about so yeah go ahead so uh you can file joint bills you can file a bill in the ho- in the house and a bill in the senate at the same time and try to work them through at the same time okay and that yeah. way ideally they get passed and yeah on round, that means they the get time. done faster because yeah. there is a drop dead point and when everything dies yeah so if you don't have if your bill doesn't make it then it, it dies it can die in committee it can die on the house floor it can die in calendars and, so and it's just they leave it for so amount of days or they just, we'll get to it. We'll yeah. get to it. We'll yeah. get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and where did these ones you said did not make it? No. But what, did they make it to voting? And They didn't make it out of committee. Interesting. So. Um, do you guys see a lot of people showing up? Like when it, 
So when it goes when to the rubber road, meets the road, right? Are people showing up and writing letters? And yes. Calling? Oh yes. So uh, jumping back a little bit, the uh, this past legislative session, we were successful in passing a bill that prohibits uh, strictly uh, hostile nations from connecting to Texas's critical infrastructure, and the hostile nations are outlined in uh, federal code. Okay. Right now, and those include China. And so, therefore, China is not able to connect to our electrical grid because okay. it's critical infrastructure. That so seems pretty huge. Yeah, it was really big. Yeah, really. And big. who did you guys? Senator pe- Campbell pinned it. Okay. And she carried it all the way. And uh, uh, Representative Tan Parker carried it in the House. They did a phenomenal job uh, getting. Who it put passed. the bug in their ear? Or well, we tried to raise as much awareness yeah. about our situation in Valverde County as we could. Yeah. And it was the poster child for this bill. Everybody talked about that. Look, we've got this guy out here that's okay. So you, so you guys got the 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 bird in the ear, basically, and they kind of found a way that it's it's so politically interesting to think that <laughs> it is. that is actually a good way to get something to pass yeah. in our state legislature. It's not the it's not the endangered animals that could potentially never come back. It's, it's that a hostile. Yeah. It's a hostile nation. Do not want to connect to our power grid, and Texans are like. Nope. nope. You're we right. don't want that. And they probably have full support. <laughs> yeah, from I know. <laughs> I was thinking, I was like, well, I guess it makes sense. That probably would work on both sides of the aisles. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. No. It's a bipartisan issue. <laughs> yeah. Security yeah. is a, as it should be. Right. You yeah. know, yeah. as it should be. And we're not xenophobic. It had. Yeah. It's not about that at all. But no. as a red blooded American, aren't you concerned about where your power's come, coming from? Yeah. You don't want. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, that's interesting. So where does it currently sit? Are, is the, you know, are they still planning on building? What hoops do y'all still have to jump through? Well, uh, they have a interconnection agreement pending with ERCOT, which everybody now everybody knows, now who, knows who, ERCOT who ERCOT is. is. <laughs> <laughs> so that's easy. But because uh, ERCOT's a private company, they can kind of deal with whoever they want. ERCOT is technically a nonprofit, but they work um, for PUC. Okay. And so PUC is in obviously works for the governor because he appoints them and the governor is well aware of this because he signed the bill and we recently had an opinion issued from the attorney general stating that not only can they not build they also cannot lease their land to a developer as it would provide them access so they can't like do a back channel of like well okay we'll just we'll just you know give Mm -hmm. this land to you or rent it to you yeah Unless you build, so technically we're not the ones connected to the power grid. Right. So okay. th- the next step is uh, for the governor to tell PUC to tell ERCOT that you cannot have that agreement and you must cancel it. So the attorney general signed off on this and now they just have to get it back to Right. ERCOT. The attorney general clarified okay. the bill's actions. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, But that doesn't necessarily impact the, the existing interconnect study. That's apart from the leasing. But gotcha. the attorney general did clarify how the bill applies to the situation of Alberti County. And uh, now it's on ERCOT to shut down that interconnect agreement because wow. it is now illegal. That's, so that seems big. So yeah. okay, so and and stuff like this, we've talked about um, Alaska uh, Pebble Mine. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so the thing about Pebble Mine is that there's a big win. You know, they can't build the mine and then a new something happens and then it's back on the table yeah. and then you know we get a little victory here. You know the the guy running the the CEO of the mine was you know recorded having 
conversations where he was getting back channel money and then you know it's yeah. we win here and then we lose here and it's like this ever like ever revolving door um is is this the end all be all no okay i wish no this is a big 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 win though okay i mean we have effectively blocked them from building a wind farm right so unless they then, come up with something that nobody's thinking about right now well there's a I don't know if I want to put those things out there. On yeah, the air. No, there uh, are some things that they could don't, do. Don't, don't get any ideas out yeah. there. Yeah. I don't think our listeners are. But <laughs> no, but the next big thing that we're focused on mm. is trying to negotiate the sale of those lands to a conservation buyer that would protect them and put them under a conservation easement to ensure they're never developed. Take them off the table. So as everything stands right now, this uh, conglomerate has to sell the land. They don't have to sell the land. But they, it's useless, they essentially, unless... Well, they could run sheep and goats. They could still do outfit. I mean, they could right. run their hunting outfitting program. But, like, uh, the windmills, like, unless they, like, wanted to power their own house. Unless they wanted to build them illegally. Yeah. As of right now, because <laughs> if, if a Chinese developer owns it, and it's, like you said, now illegal to... Well, them to connect to the grid. Yeah. So they could they could build it, I guess, and well, they still don't have their FAA permits. So we're also I failed to mention this earlier. We are uh, in a major flight path for Laughlin Air Force Base, which is one of the largest training bases in the United States Air Force. I mean, pretty much every pilot goes through there. So not only were they planning to build 700-foot-tall turbines, which would be some of the tallest in the U.S. That sounds high. Uh, they were going to put them in the flight paths of pilots that were training to send off to war. And they didn't have the licensing to do that? Uh, well, they have to get an FAA they, permit. Yeah, they permit. They and that's permit. that's pending still. Um, we opposed it, of course, and we rallied everybody else who flies a plane or cares about open space to do the same. Are they trying to sell the land? Is that what... The they do have one of their ranches for sale. It's actually the one that's part of the Rock Springs Valverde Wind Farm. Um, and it's it's listed, and I think it has 13 turbines on it. Okay. And, uh, yeah, you okay. can see it on Lands of America. Cool. I'm sure for <laughs> a very pretty penny, though. Yeah, they're asking about 1051 an acre, so $8 million or so. Wow, okay. No, excuse me. I think it's $1 million. It's 8,000 acres. Okay. Math is hard after you drink. That's out of my price. <laughs> hey, we could probably rally. You know, yeah, do a GoFundMe. Yeah. <laughs> Do a GoFundMe so we can buy this land hey, and we what? will make sure. You know, if, <laughs> we, <laughs> if we could get every person in America or just in, in, in Texas to give 10 bucks towards this, we could buy them out. Oh, yeah. Make it in the, make it a state park. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Now we're talking. All right. If we state natural area would be really cool. Area. Yeah, because yeah. then you preserve that, you know, it'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the other uh, issues that you guys see on the river? We see uh, lesser now that we have the permit system in place, but we see some recreational abuse. Okay. And what what does that physically look like? Um, this looks like unprepared paddlers. Somebody who's, you see them on the third day, or the people in, in the Blue Sage area see them on the third day. They're roasted. They look miserable. They've got junk everywhere in their boat. And they flip over at Dandridge Falls, and their stuff goes everywhere. Gotcha. Okay, so leaving trash, like littering, gear, but even like the unintentional littering. Yeah. Like you said, it's just like it's the unprepared. It's the unprepared, it's the unprepared paddler. Yeah. yeah, and they're also you know you know they're trespassing to sleep. You know they're not using wag bags, which are highly recommended out there. What's a wag bag? It's a waste alleviation gelling bag. So instead of digging a cat hole, because the river corridor is so alluvial, 
and water just moves through there. Mm. If you had, we have about, I don't know, 1,500 to 2,000 paddlers go down that river every year, mm. which may not sound like a lot, but that's kind of carrying capacity for the yeah. devils. Because if you had more than that, it would look like San Marcos or the Guadalupe. You're not going to get that wilderness experience that right. you're going there for. Um, but anyway, so if everybody out there was digging cat holes to do their business, you would have definite nutrient loading and algal blooms and degradation of the water quality. Mm. So we in Parks and Wildlife ask that you use a wag bag. You use the bag to do your business and you pack it out with you. Gotcha. It's called a wag bag? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can get them at your local REI or Whole Earth. Okay. Your local Amazon Depot. And uh, so, I mean, you don't have to answer this if if it's given too much information, but on the river, you have to sleep on islands? No. No, actually... uh, we have a few landowners that have partnered with Parks and Wildlife for oh. designated paddler campsites. And, oh, cool. Uh, you know, it, it would be best not to hammer the islands because they're a critical structure yeah. in, in the river. I mean, they they dissipate energy when we have rises. And the Devils is a really flashy system, so the the islands play a critical role in slowing down the water and catching sediment. So the number of people who stay on the island and started to degrade it and bring it down can definitely play an impact whenever the... the the flows increase yeah, or the water absolutely. rise. Okay. Yeah, we highly recommend people use the permit system and use the designated campsites yeah. to minimize the impact. Mm. Um, is anybody in place in like the launch points to kind of make sure they have permits or is it kind of... You know, and that's it's a really a better question for Parks and Wildlife. Okay. Is there boots on the ground on that stuff? Gotcha. Yeah. But no, there's not anybody at the check-in point. I mean, it's not like you're seeing a ranger before you put on the river. Yeah. You might if you put in it at Del Norte at the North Unit, mm. but not at Baker's Crossing. Yeah. Um, but also, recreational abuse uh, is, you know, it's something that's so easily avoidable. If everybody that goes down the river thinks that, okay, everybody else is trespassing, or everybody else is leaving trash, so I'm going to be the exception to the rule, and I'm going to pick up what I find, and I'm going to, you know, try and try and leave this place in a better situation than when I got here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, terminal tackle is another really simple thing that anglers can do. When you get hung on a tree or something, take the extra three minutes to get out of your boat and go get your your uh, lure and get your terminal tackle and right. get it out of there. Spot's yeah. already blown anyway. So. Yeah. yeah. Take a dip. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's hot anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's I think that's good information. And I think that's a good rule just pretty much anywhere yeah, you go. Absolutely. If you get caught in a tree... And you can and don't toss your leader in the river. No, you know stuff like that. Stuff it in your pocket and take it home. Carry pack out all your trash. Yes. But the other big thing is being prepared for the rapids. So the rapids aren't moving; they're always exactly where they are. That's why it's good to go with somebody who knows the river. But when you're approaching a rapid, tie all your stuff down. If you tie it down, because you're going to flip eventually. I mean, you could be the world's best paddler, but that river will get you. Uh, So if if your stuff is tied in, you're not going to lose anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've flipped a Diablo Paddle Sports Amigo. and Those things are pretty hard Yeah, that's... (laughs) I That's can flip anything. <laughs> no, but there's there's a couple of places where you hit these 90-degree turns, and those boats are super stable, but they're also really hard to turn 90 degrees. Yeah. So over I went. But because I had my Yeti strapped in, because I had my fly rod strapped in, and my even my water bottle, I had it all tied in, you know? It just hung onto the boat. Yeah. So I flip it over, and everything's still there. Yeah. It's simple things like that that can help you leave a smaller footprint. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get into fly fishing? You know, I've always 
I got, we grew up spinning reel and, and bait caster, but, uh, my mom got into it a while back and I guess she kind of planted the seed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh it's more active fishing. So if you have ADD, it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah your mind's going the whole time focusing yeah. on yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I, I find that my mind is more filled doing that because there's something always going on. You can always do this. There's always something more to learn. Yeah. Another mm-hmm. rabbit hole to go down. You're never not thinking. You're never not thinking. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and what, what's the most, what's your most memorable fish that you've caught? Oh, it wasn't on a fly rod, but it was down at, at Port A and we were in the jetties and, um, we were fishing really big fish and I hooked a really big one and I fought with him for probably 15 minutes. And then do you know what it was? It was probably a redfish, I think. Okay. Okay. A a monster redfish. Yeah. And my hook broke. Oh, it actually right below the barb snapped off. Man, yeah, and I'm sure you were fishing a pretty big hook too. Yeah, it was. You know, let's see. It's it's hard to get a hook to break. Yeah, Yeah. that's crazy. That's sad. It's not. Yeah, that's a a big. That's one thing to like the hook for the fish to come unhooked. You know, it happens every now and then. It bends out. If you tie a bad knot, it's the angler's fault, and you can feel sorry for yourself. But if the hook breaks, that's the part of the equation that. You don't hear that often. You don't hear right. that often. You have no control over it. I mean, unless it's like, well, for me, it was like, oh, I found my grandpa's flies from oh yeah years <laughs> ago. Yeah. Took it out on the quad, and, and then they yeah they're yeah, like slightly literally rusted. Snap, yeah, yeah. <laughs> snapped the bell. Yeah. I was like, well, these are gonna be like you know shelf flies. Yeah, <laughs> no. yeah. Julie, is there any other big projects you guys have going on for the? Oh, talk about you guys are doing your fundraiser right yes. now and. Man, uh, Don and I went to the one that was at the uh, Witty, mm-hmm. and uh, you guys invited us after that year. We did the give back. I think it was the give back days. Yeah, and we had a blast. And I know with COVID, it's hard to do to actual plan. fundraising events. Um, but what uh, what are you guys doing this year? COVID has certainly made it challenging. Yeah. And last year we did an online auction and we were so hoping to have an in-person event this year, but it came down to the wire and we decided it wasn't worth the risk. Yeah. We're a little bitty shop. So our our fundraiser provides the majority of our funding Fines. for the year. Mm-hmm. So if we don't do well at it, if we have a COVID blowout or COVID super spreader, it would be devastating It would for actually us. affect yeah, your oh, year. Yeah. It would devastate yeah. the organization. Well, and that's what we talked about uh with with real recovery too they have one big fundraiser that almost funds all of their retreats for a whole year and with covid they haven't they haven't been able to have it yeah and they've been like two years ahead on funding now they're they can get through this year yeah that's awesome you know and they can only get through this year and it's like what do you do when you can't fundraise in person it's hard it's really tough It's really tough. So we've got an online auction that'll launch on October 15th, and it'll run through November 13th. Mm -hmm. So by the time you guys are listening to this, it's been happening for, what, about a week and a half? Yeah, so hurry up and get on there, because all the good stuff might not be gone yet. (laughs) Um, We've got some really great items, some hunts and some fishes guided by... Fishes? Fishing trips? uh, (laughs) Guided by our board members, which will be really fun. Um, I am hosting a trip for four, if you want to get in on that. that's awesome. We can go in on that. Uh, Yeah, are we, Zach, me, Cliff... We might get Ian or Evan in. Ian and Ian or Evan. Yeah. What about Carson? Maybe Carson. Yeah. There's only four. If we split it four <laughs> ways, 
Yeah. And we, I've always said, knowing what the Devils is, I'm not going to go on a trip unless I go with someone who's been down it before. Oh, yeah, for sure. This would be a perfect <laughs> yeah. opportunity. Uh, so we're going to cut this out of the episode <laughs> so that way people don't know that we're going to be bidding on this trip and they don't. They anyway, don't bid against them. What else yeah. do you guys have on the... What else do you guys... We have a lot of really cool gear. Uh, Patagonia gave us a, a roll, you know, a rod roll, which I don't know if y'all have seen those, but they're super handy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we've got, uh, let's see, we've got great gift cards, really good gift cards. For You'll have a lot of signed memorabilia. I know a that... A few, yeah. When we were at the Witty, they had like Muhammad Ali signed boxing glove, and I was like, that's cool, but... Kind of out of place. Uh, yeah, it's kind of out of my price range. <laughs> you guys have anything? We like have that? a few things. Yeah, I think we have a we have an Astros uh, game ball signed. I'm not sure who it's going to be signed by yet, though. Yeah. Uh, they're sending it next week. I'll keep you posted. Yeah, yeah. they just went to ALCS, so they just uh-huh. won today. So yeah. And you're repping your team. Yeah. We also have uh, AJ Buckley. Are you familiar with Seal Team? SEAL Team is a really cool show. I think it's on CBS. Um, but it's a it's about a SEAL team and all the trials and tribulations that they go through. Okay. And the main character is actually from Del Rio. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of our board members is on the crew for this, and so he's had some influence on the write-in. And he got us a signed A.J. Buckley cap that he wore in the show. It's that's really cool. cool. Oh, that's yeah, cool. That's yeah. awesome. So if you haven't watched SEAL Team, I highly recommend it. Check it out if you like action shows. Uh, and then we also have uh, really cool gear from Magpul. Uh, they do a lot of modifications for firearms. ARs and stuff. Yeah. 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 So we have a shotgun deal and an AR deal from them uh, with some other little goodies in there. But lots of really cool stuff. And then in addition to that, we have a raffle for a Diablo Paddle Sports Amigo. Oh, awesome. With a chair and a skeg and a paddle. Yeah. And our logo on it. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. So, you guys have a, such like a sick logo too. Like I love yeah, it. Thanks. It's great. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. And then we also, uh, as the second prize for that raffle, if you don't get the boat, you could possibly win a swag bag with our branded poncho fishing shirt and some caps and stickers and a sign, you know, devil's advocate sign. Yeah. So, that's awesome. Pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And it goes until November 13th. 13th. November 13th. Right. And we're also, in addition to all that, doing a t-shirt sale. If you check out um, the site for the... I don't, do, y'all do, do y'all post stuff online? Yeah. Yeah, what we'll do is, uh, in the show notes, we will link the t-shirt sale. So people can just, in their podcast app, scroll down, click the link. It'll take them there. And okay. we'll also post a link to the fundraiser site. And so if you guys are listening to this and you want to go check it out, just scroll through the description right and there. click on the links, and that will take you guys right there. Just don't bid on the uh, trip. Don't even tell me. Don't, don't even tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> we, do, we do have some other guided trips. I think um, Angel Outfitters also donated a guided trip. So Okay. Yeah, yeah go bid on go Go bid, go on, bid, that, bid, on, bid on that one. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, if you, if you miss the auction or you aren't able to catch anything in it, we also have a membership program, uh, which gives you an opportunity to get to know us a little better and stay engaged on Devil's River News. You get a newsletter, depending on which variation of the membership level you sign up for. You get a, a package of goodies, and uh, you get to engage with us on a, on a higher level and get closer with our conservation work. That's awesome. And membership uh, yearly, monthly? Yearly. Okay. Well, there are, there is a monthly option, option yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. How someone listens to our podcast and they're like, maybe I don't have 
maybe time is constricted. Maybe I don't know about the devils. Maybe I'm limited financially. You know, we've already talked about how they can help financially maybe support you guys. Maybe <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> but how, if someone wants to get involved, how can they help? That's a great question. And right now we really only have the membership program to get engaged. And that's kind of our, our cultivation ground for volunteers. So all of our volunteer opportunities we send to the members because these are people that have expressed a desire to be more engaged with right. us. So like they're, they're speaking with their, you know, money's where their mouth is, but also like they're like, hey, we're, we're yeah. here. We're ready do, you, to, do you guys have a newsletter where if uh, you guys have a issue coming to the floor of our state legislature that – uh, you're on this newsletter, you guys will send out, hey, here's a form letter you can mail to your representative. Here's the phone number you can call. Mm-hmm. And these are the things that just, I know a lot of other organizations do that and it makes it pretty easy. Yeah, you if guys you, provide those resources too. Yeah, if you sign up for our, our newsletter, you won't get the membership newsletter, but you'll get our general newsletter, which is generally announcements about big events. Like you would you would find out about the Witty fundraiser that we're hopefully going to have mm-hmm. next year. Mm-hmm. But you'll also hear a lot about what's going on during the legislative session. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Mm-hmm. I think I'm on that newsletter. Yeah. Are they in session right now? No. Well, yes, actually. Sorry. They're right. not in regular session. They're in third, uh, third special session. Yeah, I was going to say, they've had a couple. So. <laughs> They're just having so much fun up there. They want to <laughs> stay. <laughs> they never want to go home. <laughs> cool. Uh, what other events do you guys do? Well, uh, The Witty is the big one and the fun one. And I'm, next yeah. time you guys have it, we need to go. I hope it's we're going to get to do yeah. 2022 there. Um, we're definitely working towards doing more membership events. We actually have a membership event coming up November 10th at Patagonia. This will air before that, right? Yeah, it will. About yeah. two weeks before. Cool. Uh, Pati- like the Patagonia the downtown. Uh, oh, yeah. Way down in Patagonia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where's the closest Patagonia store? No, it's Austin. Yeah, Austin okay. on uh, on Congress. And for members, you get 20% off, off anything in the store that night. Oh, that's cool. Which is pretty cool. And yeah. we're going to show a little film. Um, and I hopefully we'll have some board members there to, to do some meet and greet and, um, it'll be a good time. I encourage you to come out. Yeah. That'd be awesome. What day is the 10th? Wednesday. Okay. It's a great day to drive to Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Right in the middle of the week. Yeah. You got nothing to do the next day. Perfect. Tuesday's my long day there. (laughs) Wednesday, I got nothing. (laughs) Oh, I remember what my question was. I don't, and I don't know if you guys is if your guys' uh, fundraising and financials are public or not. I think they are. But uh, how how are you guys spending fundraising dollars? As far as like, I know you guys are doing research. You probably have some lobbying. Um, do you want to share that information? Sure, I'm happy to be transparent yeah. about it. So we don't actually hire a lobbyist. All of our lobbying is grassroots. And me being the only employee, well, I take a fair amount of the budget, but not much. Really, about a third. Um, and all of my time is spent on engaging folks in working on issues in the Devil's River watershed. So working with landowners, running conservation workshops, uh, putting together educational material for paddlers and recreationists, working on new projects and developing programs and fundraising. So I would say the bulk of the funding goes towards program development and outreach. Okay. Those are the big expenses. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, aside from... Yeah, you know, yeah. payroll, yeah. the 
keeping the lights on. Do you on. guys, are y'all paying for any research or is that done with your connection through, I can't remember who you mentioned. The Bureau of Economic Geology. Yeah. We do pay them for research. Okay. So unfortunately, they don't work for free. Right. Uh, but we, right now, we've got a, a three-way grant. They donated some. Parks and Wildlife raised some federal funds and we matched that with a private donor's donation to do this spring flow study. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, and yeah we're working. Are, Go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say the spring flow. Well, you guys are measuring how much it would actually drop if they installed the pipeline? No, we're trying to establish a baseline and okay. correlate uh, water well levels with spring flow discharge. Sure. Yeah. Uh, now, our next big project is going to be building a water level map and doing some dye tracing. And the dye tracing is going to be really cool because then we get to find out... What does, yeah, what yeah, does that say, do? What is dye tracing? <laughs> yeah, so it, it helps you... Um, have you ever had an air mattress? Mm-hmm. You ever had an air mattress with a hole in it? Yes. Okay. So if you <laughs> took, I don't know, Kool-Aid and put it in water or something and you rubbed it all over your mattress, you would be able to find the spot where the air is coming right. out, right? I would so, have said put food coloring in the back of the toilet tank and then you can see if it has a leak. There you go. That works too. <laughs> One note tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> That works too, for sure. I just didn't anticipate a lot of plumbers in the audience, but everybody slept on an air mattress, right? I mean, it's basic house maintenance. So, it was so funny. That kind of makes it better. <laughs> so dye tracing is you you uh, do this study that we're doing now mm. to try and determine where the flows are connecting. Because remember, you're working on a sponge, a rock sponge, that's got these preferential flow paths in it. And you're trying to figure out the connectivity. Okay, is it recharging here and that's coming out here? Or is it over here and is it coming out over there? So you guys going from the, uh, from the aquifer to the river? Or are you trying to see where it's recharging just like... Well, we're not pockets. going in. Well, technically, the dye is going into the aquifer. Okay. But you try and find the recharge area mm-hmm. that is going into the spring. And you can do it via well. Uh-huh. If you think that a well is connected to the spring over here, then you could put some dye in there and, and then you test for it at the spring. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, that's interesting. I know. Yeah. I mean, like, I was like. Yeah. And difficult because, I mean, talk about. It's kind of shooting in the dark, but it's really helpful information. It's good information. To know yeah. like where exactly this water is coming in from. Yeah. yeah. That's our next big uh, deal that we're raising funds to support. That's cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yep. Julie, anything else? I think that's about it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. This is yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. We get nerdy when it comes to like this. And we're just like, no, give us all the details. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, well, guys, thanks for listening. We're going to be... Uh, we hope we saw you at Oktoberfish yeah. last weekend-ish, because we were there. <laughs> and, uh, oh, one thing I want to mention, too. we I spent like my whole weekend updating the website, the blog, mm-hmm. doing Always a good. bunch of work. We have, oh, you guys, just so you guys know, we own HoneyHoleHangout.com, Ooh. as well as HoneyHoleAngling.com now. And our blog is HoneyHoleHangout. And our website's Honey Hole Angling. But you can access each on each other. But our blog is, I think our blog is much better now. Cool. Um, and we have some new articles up. Zach is going to write an article based on our topic last week, Top 10 yeah, Trout Flies for the Guad. So you guys can get some pictures of them. And Ian's got some great of, of his humor articles. Cliff, you're working on an article, aren't you? Uh, lightly right now. Yeah. Do you want to... 
give a little teaser. Because no, I don't know which one I'm doing. Okay. When I say lightly, <laughs> I mean not <laughs> even. I think you should do. Yeah. I'll tell you what I think you should do. The patterning. Or patterning, patterning or cool. how to uh, different types of duck calls and what you should be looking for before purchasing. Nah, I don't know enough on that to speak on it. Okay. Well, you could. Because I could, I could, <laughs> I could give our <laughs> listeners and readers bad information. You guys could, should go uh, buy from JB Custom yeah. Calls. All right, guys. Well, we will see you on the water and in the field. I liked how Evan signed off an email the other day, tight lines and full freezers. I saw that. That's what we should say, tight lines and full freezers.